this morning in the house of God and always encouraging uh, to be amongst God's people and just to hear the testimony this morning of Julie and, um, and uh, how, how we rejoice in that. It was so significant because as, um, as uh, you've just heard, it was, we were on our way, we were driving down, we were on the peninsula on the way here for the prayer meeting and we received that text in the car. And then we, and, uh, and as Jim said, you know, the words aggressive rejection is it's not a light phrase, is it? And yet, you know, and we came together and we prayed earnestly before the Lord and, and, uh, and to hear of the news of that turnaround uh, that took place that evening and to hear the testimony today is praise God. Amen? Amen. That's why we have prayer meetings. To pray, to call upon God because God intervenes. God hears our prayers. And so um, uh, let's uh, remember that next time we come together. Praise the Lord. All right, let's turn our Bibles in Philippians chapter 3. Now, I want to preach this morning uh, what is effectively a second part to a sermon that I preached last week. And so um, I'll give you a little bit of background as to why I'm preaching this and uh, because you'll remember last week as we preached, it was the first day of the year, we spoke about a number of things, remembering Enoch walked with God. But in there I mentioned the fact about resolutions and how we as Christians, we don't like, we're not like the world. You know, we don't practice resolutions as, as such. And, and there's truth to that. But there's also other truth. And so James, I think, was exacerbated because I'd said the same statement maybe now after a few years. And so he approached me after church and he said, Brother Gary, he said, let me just talk to you about this issue of resolutions. And, he's, and the expression that he used, and which is, will be the title of my sermon, is um, uh, resolution is not a dirty word. <laughs> and so I said, yes, James, I hear you, you're right. And I said, look, I may even, Lord willing, use this as a, uh, uh, to minister next week. And so it is the case as we come before the Lord this morning. And so uh, resolution is not a dirty word. And so um, undoubtedly we reject the world's understanding of what we know as a New Year's resolution. There's, nothing, there's no mystical power in a New Year's resolution. And so... Uh, how many of them uh, in the world make them and how many fail is, well, it, it is, speaks for itself. But they fail for various reasons because they're rooted for the most part in men's strength. They rely on men's power of the will to accomplish these things and so... Um, uh, there lies a problem in and of itself, biblically speaking. And these uh, resolutions are made with an ignorance of God's word. They're made with an ignorance of the nature of men, uh, the sinful nature of men that's incorporated into this. And so uh, that's why uh, these, uh, uh, this context and aspect of New Year's resolutions fail because uh, uh, they don't understand and grasp certain things that relate to human nature as uh, God does and as the Bible teaches us and as we will consider uh, in the Word of God this morning. But you see, when we talk about resolutions from a biblical perspective, when we consider um, what the Bible teaches us throughout Scripture, 
and, uh, and we're talking about really right from Genesis right throughout the Bible, we begin to identify that there is a place, there is a biblical place for uh, this, this term that we use as a resolution. Um, you know, whether it's a determination, it involves choice and decisions, you know, it incorporates many aspects. But nevertheless, if we put it in its proper context, if we put it in its biblical context and we apply it spiritually to our walk with God, then, then ideally speaking, absolutely, there is a biblical basis for resolutions. You can do that if you so choose to at, at the time of New Year's as long as our motivations are right, our understanding is correct. But this principle is, doesn't relate to a New Year's resolution. It relates to life in general. And, uh, and throughout the journey of our Christian walk as we uh, serve the Lord. And so we will find that throughout the, uh, our pilgrimage as a Christian, we will be required to uh, resolve issues. We will be required to make various choices. We will be required to um, uh, make various determinations. But what is important for us as Christians is to have a proper biblical understanding of these things because otherwise we too, like the world, will find ourselves failing over and over and even if it's done correctly, we still are open to failure because that's human nature. But nevertheless, um, uh, when, if we don't understand various principles that we're going to look at, then we'll fall into the same uh, um, aspect of failure and frustration not knowing how to uh, live the Christian life uh, that God would have us to. And what we begin to realise is that all the resources are with God, amen. And in Christ uh, we will succeed because God, amen, has made provision through his spirit and when we harness uh, and allow the spirit that works in us to will and to do for his good pleasure, then everything's going to work out. Can you say amen? <clears throat> so it's imperative that we have a proper spiritual understanding of these things. And so, uh, because as I mentioned, we really will find that we're encouraged to resolve. We're, we're encouraged in the Bible to um, uh, make um, resolutions in the sense as we consider the word itself. As long as they're God-centred, God-honouring and rooted in the right way in terms of a proper spiritual understanding, then they are a blessing. I mean, think about it. The Bible takes, we're not going to look at this, but the Bible talks about vows. Taking a vow before the Lord. And that's a very serious thing, scripturally speaking, isn't it? It's not something that, you know, you just do lightly. Oh, let's make a vow this here. Because vows are binding before the Lord. And they, ha they have a, a greater emphasis upon our walk with God. And so if you're going to, in, in, in um, and this is not to discourage a vow, but it's just to point out that if you're going to make one, you better understand that what's required because God will hold you to it. Okay? So, but we're not looking at vows as such. <clears throat> but again, this is in the context of understanding this whole uh, aspect of, of, a, of a resolution or choices and determinations in our walk with the Lord. They have their place. And so let's look at, and want to start with, the words of Paul the Apostle, which, mind you, was what Sam read to us last week as he got up and shared a, a reading for us as, uh, for the new year. So we want to look at Paul the Apostle, draw some principles from this as well as some other things we want to consider. So let us read together in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. The Bible says, 
not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now, there are some words here that we'll consider in a moment, but I want to just kind of step back firstly and just address the error, I guess, so that we will understand biblically if we are going to make resolutions, if we are going to determine, uh, uh, make determinations, uh, which is biblical, which is the right thing to do, it is important that we do have a correct understanding and more than that, understand the dangers uh, that are involved when we approach it. Because if you don't approach it properly, then like the world, we're, just, uh, we're bound for failure and frustration. And this is what we find in the Bible because there's various principles especially that relate to the sinful nature of man that we would do well to understand because I know that even as a Christian in my journey I've I've come to points of frustration and as I've sought the Lord God has opened my understanding to the Scriptures and it's like the light goes on and and then I go, now I understand. Now I realise, now I grasp and so I'm trying to share some of these things and I've noted these things in the past but for the context of where we're going it's important that we, 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 we just address it and uh, maybe there are some that don't understand it and I want you to see it in the scripture so you realise uh, how to uh, go about things. But nevertheless, if we fail to take into consideration the sinful nature of men then we are doomed to failure. And in Romans chapter 7, we find a familiar portion of Scripture where Paul the Apostle is uh, writing and he's uh, obviously he's on the Romans road, uh, he's laying down this foundation for us of, uh, of systematic theology of how to understand God's purpose uh, and dealings with men. And uh, in the various chapters prior to chapter 7, in chapter 3, he deals with uh, that which relates to mankind's sins, our transgressions against God. But as he continues to write and he moves into chapter 6 and chapter 7, what you begin to realise is Paul is not addressing now our sins that we have committed, but now he deals with the issue or principle of sin. And that issue of sin relates to the the nature of all of us that are gathered here this morning. Uh, It is reflective of Adam, Adam's nature, being in Adam, our sinful nature, our carnal nature, or the various terms we find. But it is common to us all, and all of us uh, have uh, this sinful nature. And so Paul is identifying this principle of sin and how as Christians in Christ we are to be free from that and how we can live uh, uh, in victory over that 
uh, and he deals with this in chapter 7 and obviously brings it to a climax in chapter 8. But you see, this issue of chapter 7, and you can turn there because we're going to read a few scriptures in a moment, but you'll find that Paul is writing and uh, I've noticed that over the years that there's uh, always been some debate as to whether Paul is talking about a person who's been regenerated or, or a person who's not regenerated, a person who has or has not the Spirit of God. And to me, this is a moot point. It's irrelevant because uh, Paul is dealing with uh, the, uh, a principle that applies to both. Whether you are regenerate or not, we still have the same nature. The Adamic nature is present. And the Adamic nature has a principle of law that relates to it and this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 7 and whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you live and walk with this understanding, then like Paul, you're doomed to fail. Because Paul, is, in a sense, is practising resolutions but he's doing it from a carnal perspective, from a, uh, a carnal understanding and with a, not an understanding of the issue of, the, of God's law and the sinful nature of men and he's realising how much of a failure he is over and over and over again. You see, what you've got to realise <clears throat> and what Paul's addressing before we read a few things is that the... the, the uh, Paul's talking about the advantage that sin has, our sinful nature has, as a result of the law. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 56, Paul writes here again, and he says, the strength of sin is the law. And so when you live the Christian life according to the law, if your mindset is, is legalistic or, you know, the, uh, I won't do this or I won't do that and it's rooted not in the spirit of God and in the new life that's in Christ Jesus and the spirit of life that, uh, that is given to us in Christ, uh, then when you begin to approach the Christian life with this mindset, mark it down, you are doomed to fail. And this is what Paul's talking about because, uh, because uh, when we live according to law, when we walk in the flesh after this manner, then all it does is strengthen the principle of sin that is already operative and at work in our members uh, and therefore it is empowered and it trips us up over and over and over again and we get frustrated. And even as Christians, I believe God for various reasons, allows us to go through this uh, as part of our journey to bring us into the glorious revelation and experience uh, of what it means to live in the spirit of, of the law of life that is in Christ Jesus. But let's kind of read in Romans 7. And I want to look at verse 14 just to identify this. This is Paul speaking. And he says about the law... See, it's not that the law is evil, it's that mankind's evil. But the law brings about or it brings to surface that which in us is sinful. Listen to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If I then, or if then, I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law, with the law, that it is good. 
But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's the key, it's sin that dwells within me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Listen to his summation, verse 24. O wretched man that I am. See, Paul is saying, even though I resolve not to do this, he says, the moment I will not to do it, he says, then I practice it. And he's saying, this is stupid. This is insane. I'm crazy. What's wrong with me? Have you ever had that experience? I've had it. And so, so and then Paul's realising that the law is good. The law is spiritual. The problem is me. Evil is present within me. And so the use of law, when I will, not to, do, when I will to do what, what I will to do, that I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. And he says, O wretched man that I am. And this is the state. And so if we live according to the flesh, if we walk according to the flesh, if we practice these new, you know, these so-called New Year's resolution, uh, resolutions from this perspective, then we, like Paul, will fall up, fall on our face. We'll end up being tripped up and we'll fail again and again and again. And it's like, oh, well, I'll just wait for next year. <laughs> you know, no, that's not how it's meant to be. Okay? But that's the, that's the principle where, uh, of the law of sin and death and sin that is in our members and this, remember the strength of sin is the law and when we live according to the law and especially uh, on human resolutions that have no root in the spirit of God and God's grace and God's power and God's provision then we are de- doomed and destined to fail. But he, he says in verse 25 or actually verse 24 O wretched man that I am Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So here it is. The flesh will always, if we walk in the flesh, we'll be bound by the law of sin and death. But if you read on in chapter 8, amen, for Christ Jesus has made us free. Free. And so it's it's harnessing, amen, God's provision of his spirit, his power and as we willingly yield to God, as we make choices and determinations and if you want to use the word in this context, resolutions, uh, then it is acceptable because God, amen, we, as we walk with God, we receive God's provision and his grace and his power to do what he wants us to do. <coughs> it's a lesson that we must learn. And as I've said it before, and as the Lord has shown me, it's about living in the uh, promised land, I guess, as I've called it, of Romans chapter 8, where we experience the fullness of our life in Christ. But the point of all of this is that if we're going to practice legitimate resolutions, then we need to understand that error. 
You need to understand that so that you can approach things in the right way. Because if you're going to make any resolution, then mark it down, it has to be first God-centred. It has to be God-centred. It has to be done with the right motive that is God-honouring. It has to be done with, with God being at the, at, at the motivating force behind what you are doing. And more than that, you're going to have to secure God's grace and provision, as we've already touched upon, to fulfil it. Amen? Because we don't walk in the confidence of the flesh. But our confidence, amen, is in Him, in Christ. So, in saying that, how then do we define a resolution? How then do we define a resolution? And just, just according to the dictionary, dictionary says it's something that is settled or resolved, the outcome of decision-making. So when you think about it in that sense, there's nothing wrong with that. Something settled or resolved, the outcome of decision-making. It also says the trait of being resolute, firm in purpose or belief. And really that's what we're going to see in Paul the Apostle in a moment, in Philippians, in our text, we're going to see a man who was resolute, the trait of being resolute. And it means to be characterised by firmness and determination. And so these, these qualities are, are commendable. These qualities are, are commendable on the side of God and so we would do well to understand them, walk in them and practise them. Amen. And as you, as you consider that, there has, as we looked at, there are many positive examples in Scripture. We looked last week at Enoch. And Enoch was a man who walked with God, the Bible says. But you know what makes it, and I don't, I don't think I pointed it out last week, uh, but let, just let it be noted that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 5, in uh, verse 24, uh, 21, sorry, listen to what it says. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now think about that because what we gleaned from this was there was a point of time in Enoch's life in which he, de- he made, if you want to call it a resolution, he made a determination. After the birth of Methuselah, the scripture clearly identifies that Enoch then walked with God. So I'm not sure what he was doing prior to that, but maybe he hadn't been walking as he ought to have and he knew that and God obviously, and he, he was considering a number of things, he was pondering these issues of life that was going on around him and there, there was a notable marked moment in his life and the scripture reveals that to us. It was a definite moment where he made a resolution and a determination. You can see this again in uh, the book of Joshua. Joshua is another example where in Joshua 24 it tells us that uh, uh, towards the end of his life after they had been conquering um, the promised land and taking that which God had given them that uh, Joshua addresses the children of Israel and in doing so he calls them to make a resolution, doesn't he? If you want to put it in those terms. Because he says, as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. He has determined. He is firm. He is resolute. He's making a choice. But more than that, he's calling the children of Israel to, to make a similar resolution. 
And he even says to them, you know what, God is a jealous God and he won't forgive your sins if he'll punish you accordingly if you go in this path. But you know what, uh, uh, he's a God of mercy and so forth and love him, serve him and be blessed. And then he puts before them this and he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So again, he's, he's drawing from them a, d- a decision, a determination. He's asking them to resolve and make a resolution to serve the Lord. And so when you begin to see it in this light, it begins to become clearer and we can see that there's a biblical basis for this. There's, other, uh, there's also another example of something similar in, uh, in uh, the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. You know the story there on Mount Carmel where children of Israel has been unfaithful and they're uh, away from God and Elijah the prophet is there with before the, the, the prophets of Baal and, and so forth and, and so there's, uh, there's that confrontation there. But Elijah says to them, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the scripture says that they answered him not a word. You see, this was unacceptable because God was saying, you have to choose. You have to make a resolution. Who are you going to serve? You have to make a choice. And so, this, just some of, there's just some of these illustrate for us the, the biblical context of a resolution and in this instance these relate to wholly serving the Lord. So that's how we can make that application, can't we? When we preach to the sinner, we can tell him to choose God or if we can pe- preach to, the, uh, to the, the half-hearted, the unfaithful, the, those that are disobedient or walking away, we can call them to wholly follow the, the Lord and resolve these issues. Nothing wrong with that. It's scriptural. So, we can apply it to repentance and salvation and things of this sort. But there's another aspect that we now want to touch upon in our text that we've read that relates to Paul the Apostle because this is somewhat different but nevertheless the principle is still there which relates to the issue of resolution. It's not being a dirty word because we see here in Paul the Apostle a man who was resolute a man who had made many resolutions, a man who had made many choices, who had determined many times over and even in this text he's reiterating this and so we can glean from that and uh, make an application of that to our lives. You see, Paul was a man that was single-minded. He was a man that... Uh, uh, was determined to do the will of God. He was a man determined to seek God and he said, Lord, I want to do that which pleases you. And so this is a notable disposition and this is one that we can learn from. So let's look at it and, uh, and, and highlight this uh, in, uh, in the verses that we're going to consider from verse 12 uh, through to verse, especially verse 14. We see, Paul is at a certain point in his walk with God. Paul has been serving the Lord for some time. We know him. He's a great missionary. He's a great man of God, uh, being used mightily by God. But at this point of time, we capture him in a, in a, in a moment, in a point of time in, his, in, in the plan and purpose of God, 
where he is still focused and fixed on doing and pursuing the will of God for his life. And he is still determining, he is still resolving uh, and he's still making statements that, that show us how to approach the Christian life ourselves. Because in our pilgrimage, we're going to have to have a similar attitude. In our pilgrimage, there might be times of failure. In our pilgrimage, there might be times of of just uh, uh, having drifted or not doing all that we should and yet again we've got to come to repentance. Again, we've got to resolve. Again, we've got to uh, uh, say, Lord, this is the attitude that I need to take in my walk with you. You see, what's also noticed, we didn't read it, but in the previous verses of chapter chapter 3, in verse (coughs) 9, Paul talks about especially verse 10, he, says, he talks about his desire. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so, obviously, this captures a number of things, but at the mo- at be- behind it, what it is, is, is there's an intense desire. There's an intense passion. And really, this is what has to drive a resolution. Amen. It has to be an intense passion for God, an intense desire, not just something that's based on, well, you know, some, uh, you know, legalistic approach or some, you know, ticking all the boxes or just, just doing what's right, but you have to have a, a right motivation. And Paul is that, he's at a point in his life and he says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death, and it's this intense desire that's fueling him. And he goes on to say, if we look at verse 12, listen to what he says, not that I have already attained. I haven't arrived, is what he's saying. Nor am I already perfected. That applies to us. But I press on. I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. You see, there's a principle here and that is uh, in these verses and that is uh, Paul is saying, here I am at a certain point in the will of God, in the plan of God, in my walk with God, in my relationship with God. And he says, uh, this is the, uh, not that I have already attained to everything that he has for me, not that I have already been perfected in being conformed to the image of his son, But nevertheless, this is my attitude that I have. Uh, He says, uh, I press on. I press on. And so this is a resolve of the will. This is a determination of mine that Paul is manifesting and demonstrating here. And this word means uh, to pursue, to follow, to give to, to press forward. And so Paul is not idle. He's not just sitting on his laurels, uh, but he's constantly pressing forward. And in pressing forward, he's constantly setting himself to, as he says, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. And what a picture it gives us. Because again, it's not automatic. Somehow it's all just going to come to us. But Paul's showing us a disposition in life that we're going to have to press on, that we're going to have to press forward, that there's going to be, a, if you, to use the word, some effort that's going to be required of us. 
He says in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see, there's one thing I do, Paul says, and this is a mindset, this is a mentality that we have to have because it's the one thing that has to grasp and, and, uh, if, and consume, I guess, our minds. And he says, we're forgetting those things which are behind. Let's face it, church, you know, when we come to a new year, uh, we, we, we reflect on the year that's been, but you know what? You can't do much about what, uh, what has been. The past is the past. And so Paul, uh, though he takes these things into consideration, he says, I forget those things that are behind. See, so many people get trapped in the past, don't they? So many people, for whatever reason, for various reasons and maybe for legitimate reasons, they get trapped in the past because of sin maybe, because of certain decisions that they made, certain things that they've done or certain failures or whatever the case may be. And see, that can cripple your present and destroy your future in God. And people are held captive because of these things. But Paul's attitude is forgetting those things that are behind. And I won't go into the details of that personally, but I can say to you, I remember a specific moment in my life where I was before the Lord and I knew that I had wronged God and I knew and I was bearing the weight of that burden and I tell you, I read this and I tell you, God spoke it to my heart, it liberated me and I was able just to forget those things. It's like God was saying, forget it. We hold on to something sometimes. And so God is saying, forget those, Paul says, forget those things which are behind. You can't change the past. You can't, you know, you can't, even, even, uh, even in the context of, um, you know, well, I remember what I did for the Lord. Well, what are you doing now for the Lord? You know? See, this applies in many various ways. And so because, the, because even though we can reflect upon the past and those good things, well, what are we doing now? And so uh, we've got to forget the past, whether it's good or bad, and we've got to look to the present with a determination towards the future. That's what, this is Paul. This is how he sees things. This is how he's approaching things. <coughs> He says, uh, uh, forgetting this one thing I do, one thing I do, forget those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. That word reaching forward means to stretch. You know, again, the picture is of one that is forcing himself forward, plunging himself forward, moving forward because it's very, it's, we all know, it's very easy to get idle in life, isn't it? If, I mean, it's holiday season. It's, I mean, you know, it's easy just, if you just, if, if you, if you just relax, if you just let go of the reins, I tell you what, it's very easy just to settle and just to, um, uh, uh, you know, do nothing and things can unravel quickly. That's why the word Enoch walked with God. Enoch means discipline, you know. That's, remember we looked at that last week. It's so easy just to become undisciplined. It's so easy just to become idle. It's so easy to become inactive. 
And Paul was determined that he wasn't going to fall into that trap. And so we have to be mindful of these things too because if we're not careful, we, we, fall, we can fall into the same mentality. So he says, I'm reaching forward, I'm stretching forward. But it doesn't, doesn't just, he doesn't just use those words. He says in verse 14, I press. So forgetting those things which are behind and stretching forward, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press. So he says in verse 12, I press on. He's now saying again, but in a different context, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. Notice that. The upward call. It means, uh, there, it means on the top. Amen. And so when we walk with God, as we live with God, we're always to reach forward. We're always pressing forward and we're moving towards the upward call of God. Because again, the opposite is true. If you don't take this disposition, you'll take the downward trail. And you've got to go, it's the upward call of God. You've got to keep pressing. You've got to keep moving forward. And so the picture you get here is Paul was a man that was given to resolution. He was a man that was resolute, firm in his disposition, but he was also a man given to constant choices and determinations. This is the one thing I do. It wasn't that he just did it once. It was the one thing he continually did. That's the picture. You get a picture of a man who constantly evaluates his life, who is constantly examining himself and is making the necessary adjustments and decisions and choices that have to be made. And this is why we look at Paul's words and we can ourselves learn a lot because this is how we have to approach the Christian life. We have to consider these things. We have to evaluate our own lives. And, and sometimes God might be saying, you need to, this needs to be adjusted. This needs to be dealt with. This, there's choices here that have to be made. You need to resolve that you're not going to do this or do that or you need to resolve that you're going to do this and do that. These things are legitimate and they're, 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 they're scripturally based for us to understand. But Paul is moving forward. <coughs> and so we get a, when we look at Paul the Apostle, we get various pictures of him in scripture. Maybe you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a familiar portion of, of text again that relates to Paul as he talks about himself. But he says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, he says, uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. This is, this is again, we're getting a picture of Paul the Apostle's disposition and attitude. He says, run in a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it for, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Paul says, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I've preached to others I myself should become disqualified. But again, we're getting this picture ties together with 
what Paul is saying here in Philippians. But it's not the only picture we get when we see a man that is given to these, these, these acts of resolution and resolve to serve, the will, to serve the Lord. In 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy. <laughs> if you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's instructing young Timothy, young pastor, and he's saying, listen, here's some things I want you to understand and consider. And he writes to Timothy in chapter, in chapter 4, verse um, verse 8. We'll start from verse 6. Actually, we'll start from verse 6. He says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will, do, you will be a good uh, minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and, ex- and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. See, Paul is instructing young Timothy here and he's, again, he's setting forth this principle and he says, you know what, bodily exercise profits a little. It has its purpose. How many people say at the new year, I'm going to get fit, (laughs) I'm going to lose weight. I'm sick of saying it now. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, there, there is, a, there is a, uh, an element that is, is profitable and commendable in bodily exercise. But Paul says, you know what, there's something far greater than bodily exercise. He says what needs to happen is uh, um, uh, there needs to be a, an exercise, exercise yourself towards godliness. Godliness. You see, there's something that we can work towards. There's something that we can strive towards. There's something that we can be resolute about. But you see, we have to exercise ourselves towards godliness. In in other words, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. I can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be 10 kilos less. It just doesn't happen. It's going to require effort, doesn't it? It's going to require discipline. It's going to require these things in order to achieve that And so Paul is saying to Timothy, exercise yourself towards godliness. And so this is the disposition that we have to have as well as it relates to the Christian life because we want to pursue these things. He uses the word exercise. And funnily enough, it's from the Greek word gymnazo, which we get the English word gymnasium. And it means to train, to train. And again, this is the picture. Exercise yourself towards godliness. And uh, the word godliness incorporates uh, a number of things, but it, it represents or speaks of being pious. It speaks of piety and virtue. Now, let's define some of these just so we can get a better understanding. When we, when we use the word pious when, in relation to godliness, we're talking about a, a expressing in our conduct a reverence for God or, in other words, walking in the fear of the Lord. Okay, a reverence and a godly fear in our lives. That's the first principle of, of exercising yourself towards godliness. If you don't have the fear of the Lord there and a reverence for God, then you can't go to stage two. Then there's the, the issue of piety. 
and that represents a righteousness by virtue. So that there, there, is a, there is a virtuous character about our lives and our lives are characterised by a righteousness or righteous conduct in the manner in which we live. So when we talk about exercising ourselves towards godliness, we're talking about being pious, we're talking about piety and the issue of virtue and virtue itself is the quality of doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. And if you're going to exercise yourself towards uh, godliness, then you're going to have to resolve some issues. Can you say amen? You can't do it otherwise. How can you exercise yourself towards godliness? You know, because you're going to have to deal with some things. Because if you're going to exercise yourself towards uh, a bodily exercise and losing weight, not only do you have to go to the gym and train, but you have to say, I'm not going to eat that anymore. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop indulging in this. And so the same thing for the Christian life. As we exercise ourselves towards godliness, you're going to have to resolve, I'm not going to feed from that off the world anymore. I'm not going to partake of that anymore. I'm going to forsake that sin. And as you exercise and as you incorporate these choices and resolutions, then you are moving towards godliness. And this is the disposition, again, that Paul is telling us to have. But I read these scriptures in Philippians, in Corinthians and Timothy because we get a snapshot of Paul the Apostle and the way he went about things and it's, uh, it's, it's an example for us to follow. <clears throat> Paul even says, Timothy, he says, uh, bodily, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things and it has promise in this life that is now and in the life to come. Praise the Lord for that, Amen. It's not just the, uh, something, the benefits that you will see for eternity, but you will see the benefits of that now in your walk with God. You will reap. If you sow to, uh, to the flesh, you will of the re- flesh reap corruption, but if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so the benefits of training yourself towards godliness will be identified in this life now. You will feel, you will feel uh, a sense of of uh, joy and peace, a closeness in, with God as you walk to, uh, in holiness and righteousness and these things, they'll become evident to all. But all of these things, again, involve resolutions. Think of, I mean, Paul's using these illustrations in, uh, in Corinthians about the athlete. He uses it um, uh, again when he talks about prof- uh, exercise here. And he uses it again in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, as we'll read in a moment. But you see, the issue is, is the athlete, a person who's an athlete, they, they make resolutions, don't they? I mean, I, again, I, I, I stand, uh, uh, not amazed, but I stand in, re- in respect of the fact that these that people who strive for this perishable crown, the, the, the rigours that they put themselves through the training, and this is what Paul's talking about. He's taking the example of these elite athletes, if you want to call it, and he's saying there's something commendable here that we need to identify. And he says they exercise themselves towards this. And in the same manner, we need to do the same. And you see, these people, they have made resolutions in their life. 
They've said, you know what, I'm going to forsake some of the social aspects of life in order to pursue pursue this, this, uh, this gold medal or whatever it is. You see, sometimes I've spoken and had discussions with people and they say, well, what's wrong with it? Well, it's not an issue so much of what's wrong. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it, sometimes it's like, well, what do you want? Because the, these people want it, they, make the, they resolve and they make choices that we wouldn't even consider or think twice about. And yet they do it for a perishable crown and Paul says, let that be an example for us in our walk with God because we need to take the same approach in relation to these things. Look at 2 Timothy. Paul writes in chapter 2 and he says in verse 3, he says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now engaged in warfare, now he's talking about warfare here, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And in verse 5 he says, And also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And so again, Paul's giving us these snapshots, these pictures. He uses the issue of warfare and, and we could go into that, I won't divert there, but again, even in, in uh, if you're going to be a soldier, the same principle applies, doesn't it? If you're going to be an athlete, the same principle applies. And if you're going to be effective in either, then you're going to have to understand what's required. And you can't be crowned unless you compete according to the rules. There's certain things that you must do. And so, in this case, we're considering choices, resolutions, determinations. Because remember last week we looked at Enoch walk with God. You know, again, I didn't point this out last week, but I'll point it out now is we looked at the word Enoch means narrow and it means to be disciplined, initiate, to be initiated. And so, but that, this particular Enoch that we looked at was of Seth's line and he was the seventh from Adam. But you see, back in Genesis as well, we find that there was another Enoch and that was of the, of the seed and lineage of Cain, of the third of Cain. So both from Adam. But you see, there was one Enoch and he, 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 made, uh, he was disciplined to walk with God. And then there's the other Enoch who was disciplined towards evil. And so, you know, in a sense, we can go in one of two paths, can't we? We can go in this direction or that direction because people say, uh, you know, let's be honest, we're making choices all the time, amen? Sometimes we don't even realise it. But we are, we're always making choices. And so if we're not careful, we can make the wrong choices and we take a wrong path. And so again, we see that uh, illustrated through the, both of those Enochs there in Genesis itself. But you see, in saying all of this this morning, my point is, as James wanted to point out, is that resolution is not a dirty word. In actual fact, if you see it in this context, it is something that is commendable and to be esteemed in the sight of God. And if we will approach our Christian lives with this disposition that we've just touched upon and identified in Paul the Apostle, then we are, as we looked at last week, setting ourselves to walk worthy before the Lord. And so I want to encourage us just in, in relation to these things as each of us consider that we, we, we would 
uh, make these resolves. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your relationship to God is like. But you know, what I know is this, is God speaks and deals with us all. Amen? God knows where we're all at. He knows where he's calling us to. He knows what he wants from us. And your walk's not my walk. So he might be dealing with you about some specific things that he doesn't specifically require of me. But he's wanting you to resolve this. He's wanting me to resolve that. And so as we take that in light of the fact that, Lord, I need your help. I need your grace to change. I need your grace to, to, to in making these choices, I realise that I can't do this in my own strength. And God says, that's okay. Um, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, when he sees that sincerity, when he sees that humility, when he sees that willingness that says, Lord, I want to. When he sees that, he who wills to do his will, when he sees that set in your heart, then God will give you the provision. The Spirit of God would empower you. Amen. And you'll find in your, in your walk a strength that comes from God where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so God might be calling you to faithfulness. He might be calling you to some various disciplines in, in your walk with God. Maybe it's just to read your Bible. Maybe it's just to pray some more. Maybe it's, uh, I'm not sure. But you know what? I trust that God will speak to you if you will sit before the Lord, if you'll take the time to pray. I know that God will speak to you. And then as God speaks to you, resolve to do what he's telling you to do. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just thank you this morning that we can come around your word. And Lord, as we've considered some of these things, God, I pray as your people, Lord God, we don't want to just be idle. We don't want to just come together and go through some religious routine. God, our, our, our mindset has to be one like Paul the Apostle. And as we come before the Lord, as we come, we, we, are, we are forgetting those things that are behind us and we are reaching forward and Lord, letting, laying hold of Christ for which you have laid a hold of us. Let us have this healthy disposition. Help us to have this quality of character operating in us. And that means, Lord, that we will press on. We will consistently reach forward. Not become idle. Not become complacent. Not become, uh, you know, not rest on our laurels. Not live in the past. But God, let us press on, move forward in the will and purposes of God. And Lord, I sense and I know, God, it doesn't matter who we are, how old we are, you have a plan and a purpose for us individually and corporately. And Lord, I pray that we would set ourselves to seek you. We would seek you with a greater resolve, with a greater passion, with a greater love to walk in obedience to you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your grace that you have delivered us from this body of death You've delivered us, Lord, from the law of sin and death because we walk in the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. And that always leads us to victory. Blessed be your name. Amen.